You're listening to the Naptime Empires podcast with my mom, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Mom, your show's on. Thanks, bud. I got it from here. Welcome to the Naptime Empires podcast, refreshingly honest conversations on the realities of parenthood and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Let's get started. If you've got your own podcast or you're thinking about starting your own podcast, also just if you enjoy a good British accent and humor, you're going to love this one. This is my friend Joe Milmine. She works with people who loves running their creative businesses and desperately want to take the next steps to grow them but can't figure out how to carve out enough time in their busy days to do so. She has over 10 years of management experience where she's consistently exceeded performance targets in diverse sectors. And we mean diverse, because not only is she an award-winning podcaster, she is a bad ace vet of the Royal Air Force. Or as she says, successfully managed multi-million pound assets in incredibly pressured, safety-critical environments. She's a bit of a superhero. Joe's built her own creative business, The Golden Skin. She's going to totally make fun of me for mispronouncing that, which has been featured in industry press such as The Knitter. In August 2012, she became the voice of the Shiny Beast podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting yarn and comedy in equally large measures. And she doesn't have this listed in her bio yet, but Shiny Bees, her podcast, won the New Media Europe Award for Best UK Podcast in 2016, like of all categories. Hello. And also she won the most engaged audience award the year before that. So she knows her stuff and I just love how niched. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but okay. So how we met. Well, of course we met online first. And then of course I met her in real life in Vegas. Do you notice the trend? I say this practically every time I met him in Vegas. So I met Joe in person when we were both at the 90 day year event, we hit it off. We took a selfie as you do. And just over the last year, thanks to Facebook messenger and Skype, we've become good buddies in the year since. And once I knew I was going to go the podcast route, we scheduled a Skype chat just so I could soak up some of her wisdom. Cause I love that she does things her way. You know, you can find a lot about like the technical stuff, but I wanted to hear about her story and how she's built this amazingly engaged audience around knitting and comedy, like literally just kind of sharing her story. I love it. And I'll never forget the conversation we had because literally she created a visual in my mind and she helped me imagine you there in a chair in the dark while you're feeding your baby or your hands are full and you're doing laundry or making dinner, whatever you might be doing right now. And she helped me realize I didn't want this podcast to be something where you felt like you had to sit there with 100% brain power and take notes. Easy listening is the term, I'm doing air quotes that you obviously can't see, but easy listening was the term that she used. And I was like, yes, yes, that is exactly what I want to create. I'm not looking for like an end result other than creating a feeling for you of connectedness and reassurance and encouragement. And based on the feedback that I've been getting so far, that's exactly what we're doing. So high five. Thank you so much for your friendship on this one, Joe. And yeah, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, she's put together a checklist for doing just that. So make sure you go to the show notes at naptimeempires.com so you can grab your copy. All right. We cover a lot in this conversation, including how she started her podcast while stationed in super, super rural South Africa. Her husband is in the military. She's a veteran. He's still actually think he might've just gotten out. Anyway, they've moved like seven times 
and they have two little ones. So she shares her best tips on managing that. The surprising truth about the secret world of knitting, who knew? How her podcast ended up inspiring her first membership business. The power of knowing exactly who you're talking to. Again, that's something that was super critical in my conversation with her before I started this podcast. How she really mastered the art of picking the thing that moves the needle first. Knitting pun, not intended. But we're going with it. How she makes the most of, or used to make the most of nap time in those short preschool days when you drop the oldest off and then you like sprint home to actually get like 30 minutes of work done before it's time to pick them up. Why friends don't let friends work or knit when sleep deprived. The power of storytelling and experimentation. I love how she talks about the early days and just kind of going with the flow when they moved. Anyway, again, I don't want to spoil it. She also talks about her previous career, which, like I said, is like life and death, fast jet aircraft. She's controlling the button and how that compares to parenting, podcasting, and entrepreneurship. How she's overcome the self-imposed mom guilt trap. I really love what she shares about that. And then the value in face-to-face connections. Again, it's no coincidence that the people that I thought of first to have on this season one of the podcast are the people that I've had those online relationships, but we've also made the time and effort to meet face-to-face. There's definitely something to that. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Joe Milmine. All right, Joe, thanks so much for staying up late over there so we can chat Naptime Empires today. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I've at this point already covered your, you know, award-winning podcaster bio and such. I just love to say that because I think it's so cool, especially given the topic that you focus on. But just to set up the conversation, can you just give me a rundown of what is the family set up and how and when did your business fall into place with your two little ones over there? So I am married to a gentleman that's in the military. So I know you know kind of (laughs) as well as I do how that kind of adds to the family dynamic. Right. And we have two children affectionately known as the Mill Miners. (laughs) And uh, our eldest is Isabella and she is five and a half now. And the youngest is Sam and he's three, nearly four now. And my sort of businesses began really in my head whilst I was still in the military because I am ex-serving in the Royal Air Force and I'd planned them to the nth degree in my head whilst still working as we do we love our fantasy business ideas and they only really kind of came to fruition when I started my podcast when Izzy was 14 months old and I started my first proper business when Sam was six months old so All right. So Izzy was 14 months old. Sam was six months old. How did the podcast come to be? I mean, I know we've talked about this, but just share, because I think it's really cool, especially because podcasting has changed so much and it's still in a wild, wild west kind of phase. But really when you started, it was seriously like out of just a purely inspired place. So tell me the story about that. So it wasn't quite the very, very early days. I'm not quite on the kind of queuing outside the Apple store sort of early adopter stage myself. (laughs) (laughs) But it was 2012. And I'd moved off with my husband, um, our six-month-old as she was then, to an area of South Africa called Limpopo. And we lived in this bungalow and there were warthogs outside chewing the grass on my lawn. I had to go out and kind of chase them off my lawn. Wow. And there was a big 
boomslang snake living in the garage. It was huge. Also called him Billy because once you give something a name like Billy, it's not scary anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And after we found out about the snake, our neighbours helpfully told us that they knew there was a snake there and there'd been snake skin on our porch the day we arrived, but they got rid of it so that we didn't turn around and go straight back home. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, well, that puts my little gecko fear to shame, seriously, because we have little geckos. I mean, maybe, maybe an inch, but we definitely don't have any billies over here. That's a good idea, though, to name them for sure. I love that. We we did have geckos. We had a pair of geckos that lived in Izzy's room called Gary and Barry. I was thinking about nicknames. Um, I'd begun blogging when uh, before Izzy was born, after I'd left the Air Force, as I was getting into knitting, as you do when you're having a baby. It's mm-hmm. such a cliche, but everybody does it. <laughs> I started blogging and then I'd moved off to South Africa and Lollipop was quite hot. So there weren't any, really any knitting groups around. The variety of kind of shops and things that I've become accustomed to in the UK. And there also weren't really any British people for miles. And the nearest RAF guy was five hours away in Pretoria. And I was just a bit lonely really for my kind of knitting community. And I've been listening to another lady called Martine Ellis, who was of the I Make podcast. She now podcasts as Creative Me. I've become friendly with her through listening to her show. And she basically just bantered me into doing it. She's like, you'd be great at this. You should absolutely do it. I'll help you. So I did. And we ordered a microphone from Cape Town, which was hand-delivered by a courier. And off I went with um, internet that was... We had to pay for it and it was two gig. We had to ring a guy up, an Afrikaans guy called Hendrik. And we had to ring you up and ask for more kind of data. And it was all done on a wide area network. So he climbed up onto our roof and he was quite a sizable chap and put an aerial on our roof. And it beamed basically from a mountain, the South Pantsburg Mountains, which were to the north of where we lived. There was a big aerial on top of that that belonged to the Wi-Fi company. And that's where our internet came from. So I could only do episodes every so often because it was super expensive to upload them. Right. Um, I couldn't listen to many because it was super expensive to download them. So my friends, my nitty friends in Johannesburg used to download them for me and post them up on CDs. That is so funny. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so if you listen to the first sort of 10 episodes, the audio is a little bit ropey, but I've decided not to change them because I feel like that's kind of part of the story and it wouldn't be as good if you took it out and cleaned it all up. So that got started really. It was just more of a kind of dare and a way of reaching out to the nitty community and find other people that were interested in the same things that I was. I love it. I mean, that's serious commitment, dude. (laughs) You were definitely committed to have your podcast put onto CDs so that you could listen and connect with other people. That's pretty great. Okay. So how old were they? They were 14 and six months when you actually started. Like, how were you finding time to do that? And then how did your business, you know, how did it all evolve? So Izzy, or HBM, Her Britannic Majesty, she's become known to podcast <laughs> listeners. Um, she was 14 months old when I started the podcast. And the podcast ran for around about a year before I actually started the business, which is kind of the opposite way to the way that a lot of people do it these days Mm. in that they add a podcast to their marketing mix or their content marketing when they've already got a business. Yeah. I did it the other way around. So from all these connections and these people that I met and the conversations I would have, 
I had this idea and we used to go for walks every evening um, because it was, you know, that kind of the witching hour Mm -hmm. where the children are really grumpy. Well, we would just basically feed her as much as we could till she was full and then take her for a walk in the African sunshine until bedtime, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, walks have, I mean, for sure. That's how Bryson and I got started about when he was two months old. We would just go for walks just to be, I'm like, well, he's awake. Let's do something where it's just really easy. It's enjoyable for both of us and he can't run anywhere. So we're good. Exactly. And obviously she loved it. She was out in the sun. It calmed her right down. And obviously it was quite a good opportunity in these kind of 45 minute an hour long walks in the beautiful sunshine, looking at the lovely mountains with the aerial on top um, to, you know, to kind of brainstorm and talk about things. And I was having a conversation with my husband and he's like, you know, you should do a virgin wine club, but for yarn. And I was like, it's not a bad idea, actually. Um, and much as I hate to admit, it was kind of his idea and he loves to take the credit for it. Um, I was like, the idea sort of started to grow. And we didn't have Sam at this point. Um, he came a little bit later on and it continued to be a bit of an idea and I played with it and I talked to some people that I'd met and one of the people said, actually, that sounds really good. I'd like to be a business partner if you'll have me. So when we started that business, originally it was two of us. She's the Golden Skein. It's a hand-eyed yarn club. And that started as soon as I returned to the UK. So the planning sort of took place while Sam was, I guess, about three months old to about yeah. six months. He was six months when we moved back and she was two and a half. The planning stage kind of took place over that period and then I moved back to the UK. So that's when it all kind of started. Because with a product-based business, it was difficult for me to do any pack of product or anything if I was in South Africa because the post is just, you know, it's, it wasn't very reliable and it's not very economical yeah. for, to send stuff from there because a lot of my audience are in the UK. So, okay, so hand-dyed yarn club. So what does that yeah. mean? That like It's like a membership that they would get a new yarn every month or like how did that work? So there were already a lot of kind of yarn clubs around and what people probably don't know about knitting is it's a lot bigger than you think because mm-hmm. I always forget I'm talking to people who don't knit necessarily. Right. Um, apparently there are more knitters than golfers in the US. Oh. It's huge, but people... People don't tell anyone. They don't admit to knitting. They don't knit in public. It is all very, yeah, subversive. And I guess it was like, essentially, a virgin is a virgin wine club for knitters, but there are all these hand dyers that produce beautiful, really high-quality luxury yarns. They get the undyed skeins in from mills. A skein is, is like a little package of yarn. Not a ball. It's sort of like wound up. There's different terminology as with all these niche things. Yep. And they were producing these beautiful yarns that they were, you know, dyeing themselves and they were coming up with the colours themselves, producing it all themselves, almost exclusively women, although there are some men that do it. And I just loved the idea of it. And I was like, what if I could find all these people and I could bring them together with all the other people like me who love this stuff? Because it's a work of art before you even knit it, you know, that someone's put together, they've designed it all, they've produced it. I could get all these people together and, you know, I could help them find new people and I could help them find new customers and, and it all be really cool. And I could just be in the middle of it all kind of creating this party. Okay. And it's all a big surprise. So the way it works is I, each quarter, I will pick three hand eyes from around the world and commission them to produce this yarn. 
The people who buy the yarn from me don't know what they're getting. And it's not a bad thing. It's all a big surprise. That's they so fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. And they get a photograph. So all they see is a photograph. So the one for this quarter is Tiger Beetle. It's a really close-up macro view of a tiger beetle and all the colours and his scales and on his face. It almost looks like leopard print and he's got really shiny eyes and that's all they've got. That's all they know. That That's what the picture is and it's going to turn up in December and they don't know who the dyers are and the dyers don't know who each other is and it's all a big surprise. There are no pictures on the internet until the big reveal. Um, it's all very underground and just a massive, massive secret. Um, and it's really fun. It's really fun. They love it. I've had people with me since the very, very first one and they're still there and they still love it. So I really enjoy it. That's so cool. So basically, so you started the podcast first, then you all mm-hmm. had this idea for the club and then the podcast is basically now your main way of attracting people to it. Or did you then grow out beyond in terms of your marketing and stuff, or it's like you haven't even needed to because the podcast is so niche and focused that that's like constantly bringing in people who are super excited to join the club. I think the podcast certainly helped and the podcast definitely allowed me to have an audience of people who already liked me and trusted me enough because there have been yarn clubs in the past that had not been that successful and people have been disappointed and mm. um, because I had that trust factor from the podcast and they, you know, they knew about me, they knew where I live. Well, not exactly the address, but they knew where I live, they knew about my family, you know. I do share quite a bit of my kind of story with them on the show. They were willing to jump in. And to be honest, most of my marketing mix for that club now is either email or, or the podcast. That's all I need to do. And it's fully subscribed. So it's certainly quite powerful. I don't need to spend a lot of time on instagram or anything trying to find new customers because they're already there waiting and my customers they do it for me because they're so excited and they share so many pictures and you know people find us via that a lot of the time so it's it's been a really powerful way to start as opposed to the crickets is anyone actually going to buy anything what are we doing type right (laughs) you might have to start with so No, that's really good. And I love because it just truly stemmed from a passion of yours. And it's something, I mean, it just speaks to the value of knowing exactly who you're talking to and not just feeling like, okay, I have this generic message and I want to try to reach everybody because people get so scared to niche down and to talk to like one specific crowd. But I think that your story speaks to the raving fans idea because they do feel like they know you and your little ones and it's like, it's so interesting that you said that, that there are more knitters than golfers because everybody thinks, I mean, there's like golf courses everywhere, but knitting is something that you do when you're like at home, you know, it's not necessarily something that you're doing like out and about in groups of people, or at least that's what I would imagine. Okay. So when it comes to nap time empires, right? So mm-hmm. you started this when y'all moved back to the UK is when the business side really started ramping up. I mean, tell me about your setup and like how you actually get work done, especially when they were teeny tiny. I mean, they're still little bitty, but how did you make that work? It was a case of picking the thing that moves the needle the most, what's going to make the biggest impact and doing that first 
to be quite honest. There was a lot of snatching time at nap times, exactly that, um, for a quick hour here and, here and there. And after bedtime, luckily my children have always been really good sleepers. Don't hate me. They're, they're just a bit lazy. <laughs> they're just a bit lazy. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very lucky in that respect that they would go to bed at 7pm and I could get a couple of hours in if there was any brain space left after a day. Yeah. Um, taking care of them and it tended to be we got to a pretty sweet stage where Izzy would go off to play school for like an hour and a half an hour and three quarters and Sam would sleep at that time um in the very early stages when we first moved back we've moved house a lot in since Izzy was born um we're on I think our seventh move now this week so wow all good and you know we found this pretty sweet preschool and she would go and play there for an hour and three quarters and I would literally get back the laptop would be on the table ready my work would be on the table ready from the night before with my thing whatever I was working on first on the top windows open ready to go because I literally it was a sprint at that point mm-hmm. to get as much in as as possible before we had to run back over and um, to go pick her up from the preschool so it was pretty tricky but I think if you are in that situation now where there are so many things you could be doing you could be on Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest and Facebook and Periscope and everything you could be on all of that and you could be doing all of these things that other people are telling you to do but at that point in time your main constraint is your time and therefore, to me, I just went, well, there's no way I can do all this stuff and still be saying at the end of it, what's my priority? What do I absolutely have to get done today? Mm-hmm. And some days, you know, when your brain's literally driven like your ear and you've said the same saying to them over and over again for the 50th time, some days you have to go, you know what? I'm just going to leave it. For yeah. And just get a biscuit and a brew and sit down and go, you know, it's, let's just leave it till tomorrow because I'm actually going to make a bigger mess of it if I try it now, which was a mm. lesson worth from knitting, actually. Don't knit when you're too tired or too drunk. Oh, this <laughs> is a great parallel. Absolutely. Because you will just mess it up worse and there's no hiding it. I mean, it's a mess. Like you can't mm-hmm. undo that. I mean, you would have to then go back and undo it anyway, which is double the work. Absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with the kind of, you know, it's brew time now. Let's just put it down for now and come back to it with a clean kind of frame of mind and you'll see where you're going wrong. Mm. So that would be my kind of my top tip for that stage, certainly. Yeah, that's really, it's a powerful lesson and it's hard to swallow because it's like, especially if you've had one of those days where it's been so hard to find like that focus time. So maybe it is, it's once they're actually asleep and your brain is just done skis, but you're like, no, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And then I've, this is something over the last year or so I've become very aware of this, like this little drill sergeant in my head who will be like, no, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And then I can start to see that I'm effing up and it's like, it's no good. There's no point in me doing what I'm doing, but I'm like, no, because now you've stayed up for two hours. If you go to bed now, then that was a waste and you should have been able to just fall asleep two hours ago and whatever. And yeah, I've started to thankfully just be like, you know what? If my brain is done and it's the end of the day, then I am much better off shutting it down, making the list for tomorrow, and then starting again with a fresh mind because it ends up to be a total mess otherwise. Great lesson. Okay, so... How has your podcast evolved? I mean, obviously, selfishly, 
you know, I love to ask you about podcasting. So how <laughs> has it evolved? I mean, from those early days when you were like calling up Hendrick and getting the connection and the download speed and the upload and all that, how has it evolved over the years? And what are some of the key lessons and nuggets or just cool things that you've learned over the last four years that you've been doing it? I reckon I could probably write a book. I might write a book, actually. Do it. Um, I'd like a copy, please. I'll pre-order. <laughs> oh, totally. I'll put a little love out on it for you and everything. <laughs> I'll even let you a bookmark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be such a great bonus. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, obviously, when I started, it wasn't a massively strategic thing. I wasn't looking to do something to add to my, like I said, my marketing mix, or I wasn't looking to build a list and I wasn't looking to do any of this stuff because I didn't have a business. I just wanted to talk to people. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to talk about it and share these stories of living in rural South Africa because half of the South Africans don't have warthogs on the lawn or anything like that. You know, this is kind of out there, mm. even for another South African. So it was more about storytelling then and just talking and, and reaching out to the wider community and seeing what would happen. And when I returned to the UK, it continued. It was much easier there because obviously I had better kind of internet and things. But whilst it was easier in terms of I have better internet, I can talk about more stuff. Lincolnshire in the UK is not quite as exciting has Limpopo. No offense to Lincolnshire. Although we did see a snake, it wasn't quite as sort of sporty. It was no Billy. <laughs> there was no Billy. It was no Billy. Um, there were no warthogs. And yeah. I mean, what do you talk about then when you've talked about all this exciting stuff? So it had to evolve. And it became more about where I'd moved to next and different sort of things that I've discovered once I came back to the UK, I would discover all these new dyers and I'd talk about those. And that's really when my penchant for comedy knitting patterns sort of came to the fore. If you're not a knitter, you might've seen some on Facebook where people knit things and they are just completely crazy. Yes. And then people share them. Yes. Well, it's like that, but with the actual patterns. So if you have got a bit of a comedy streak, you could go and get the pattern. You could actually knit these things. And there's a whole host of them. You wouldn't believe how many boxes, you know, tissue boxes, Kleenex boxes, how many themed covers for those you can find. Ooh. One of my favorite ladies, it's coming up to the festive season and Halloween and stuff soon. Right. She, an entire, she's got patterns for an entire matching set for your cloakroom okay. where you have a toilet cover. Oh my gosh. Matching. Oh yeah. Little smiley face. The matching kind of toilet roll cover to go over that toilet seat <laughs> cover on the top of the toilet seat and then your kleenex cover to go with it there's no end of really funny patterns out there and people with a sense of humor who go you know what i like knitting and i could do this beautiful intricate shetland lace and i could do wonderful stranded knitting but i'm not because i like a laugh i'm going to come up with something really funny and obviously i like a laugh and that really appealed so it kind of grew into doing that a bit more and people love that and at the time, there were people who were talking about what they were knitting or there were people who were doing quite thoughtful and introspective creative podcasts and there were people doing really technical stuff. And I was like, I don't want to talk about any of that. I just want to have a laugh because I want people to just see my podcast as a bit of a break, as some light relief, some entertainment. And they'll pick up a few tips and I'll share all my latest kind of finds with them if they want to go check them out. But... At this point in life, I just want 
I just want to have fun, you know? And from then when they got a bit older and I got a bit more serious about podcasting and went to a weekly schedule, I started to go, I want to go and talk to her and see what she does in her business. And obviously I was meeting a lot of people through the golden skein that I could talk to. And I was like, no one's ever interviewed her. I'm going to go and ask her, will she have an interview? (laughs) And it became this exploration of how are people running their businesses and what are they doing? And how can I bring that story? Because I'm bringing people this yarn and how, how can I extend that story? And how can I let them really meet these people that are making it and feel like they know them because they've heard their voice and they've heard their story mm-hmm. and they've heard the narration. And it became more about that. And then it's almost kind of come back full circle because it became very serious over the last sort of nine months since winning the first award. I just felt like I had something to live up to. Like I had to be a, in inverted commas, proper podcaster no I won an award yeah and it stopped being as much fun because I I started to be a lot more like oh I could do this and do that download and I could do that and and it was all it became a treadmill then a content treadmill which Mm. some people might identify with maybe if you write a blog it goes from that I'm really interested to I must put something out what can I talk about now no one's done any funny knitting patterns I'm I'm not in the mood type thing yeah and then it's come kind of back round again after winning the second award, ironically, to, you know what, I do me really, really well. And I like funny knitting patterns and I like the dodgy yarns that nobody else does. And I like telling funny stories that have happened in my life so that other people feel less bad about the funny things that happen in their life. And that's fine. You know, don't try and be someone else, what you think someone else thinks professionals should be. because. Mm you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for your listeners and they're there no matter what. And they're the ones that email you and say, you know what? I was driving my train full of iron ore, the biggest train in the world in Australia today. And I was listening to your podcast and oh my word, you know, that story about the knitted underwear made out of strawberry laces had (laughs) me (laughs) I'm just like, that's what you do it for. That's what I do it for. Um, to literally go to the extent of of one listening to me driving the world's biggest trade in australia and two to bother emailing me about it and telling me about it you know that connection that you get from a podcast is a lot more personal because people are literally putting their earbuds with your voice in inside their head Mm. and it's not just a case of you know, you have to be doing something instructional or anything because a lot of the time when people listen to my show, because I know because they've told me, um, they're not actually knitting. A lot of them do knit, but they could be commuting. There's a lady that rides a horse in Danish forests um, whilst listening to my podcast. Again, I'm wow. not sure that is. And there's even a lady, she delivers mail in Alaska and she listens to me while she's delivering the mail while she's at work. Um, you can't do that with video and you can't do that with a blog. I can literally be in people's cars with them. I can be anywhere through the podcast. And I think that's like a really powerful thing. So it's been quite an evolution to kind of go through the whole circle and come back to realizing that, you know what, just doing it my way is that's what they want. And that's what I want. So just do it and don't worry what everyone else is thinking. Mm, That's so good. And it's one thing to say it, but I love hearing it in the context of your story and how you're like, no, legit, like that's how it has worked. And that's where the magic comes from. And that's kind of, I mean, who knows how this podcast is going to be going by the time that this podcast is in earbuds. But like, 
I really do. I just feel like, no, I just want to have conversations with people that I enjoy and just learn a little bit more so that, again, that potluck of ideas and just hearing the different ways that people are making it work and what does that actually look like. I just feel like it's a conversation worth having and so I'm going with it and I have no plan, which is very backwards, especially considering 2016 when it is easy to have a strategy with everything or at least feel like you have to immediately have a strategy with everything. So it's really inspiring to hear your story and how that's evolved. So, all right. Now, now that you're at this place, I mean, what do you see coming next? I mean, with the podcast, with the businesses and I mean, the seventh move for Pete's sake, that's no joke. So like, how do you, well, actually let's talk about that across all of these moves. How have you kept, I don't know the best way to say it, but you know, how have you kept the podcast going and the business going even throughout seven different moves or however many moves you've had since you started the business? You know, I mean, that's like a life thing that a lot of people are probably like, what, how can you do that? Cause everything would need to stop. Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, luckily for most of us these days, you've got a laptop and an internet connection, then you're laughing, really. And luckily we generally had a little bit of notice, certainly that they were going to be happening and we had removals firms, military moves. So they they just come and literally, it's like a plague of locusts. They just pack up the entire house. <laughs> from those like, really useful little things like the odd screw that drops off, they just leave. Right. You know, and you have to kind of go around hoovering up and on the ground with like a dog, dog poo bag and just hoover up the little bits of things that they don't deem to be important, but are crucial in my life. Yeah, that's um, a great bonus tip. Yep. It is. It is. You always have a dog poo bag on you, basically. <laughs> or a nappy sack. You know, if you don't have a dog, nappy sacks are your purpose. So always have a nappy sack on you is a top five tip for that. Um, you know, luckily the only really, really big move was from back from Africa and the, the rest have been within the UK, although quite considerable distances and usually on my own because my husband seems to manage to to just tie in a nice little deployment right at the time that you're going to do a move. We did a move on Sam's first birthday oh. and luckily my friends were in the corner. We made cakes and we had his birthday at, at their house because our oh. house was packed up. And it's just about kind of adapting to the environment in which you find yourself. And whether you're moving house a lot or whether there are other constraints, I mean, even if you don't move or even if you're not a military family, a lot of people have members of the family who work away or do weekend commutes or long commutes. Right. You might be a solo parent or a single parent. It's just about finding the path of least resistance. There mm. are ways that you're supposed to do things and there are ways that you can get it done and it'll be good enough just enough <laughs> is good enough at those times. If you get it done, if you have to throw everything into a nappy bag to get the house clear in time, just do it. You know, it's nice to have it all packed in boxes, but if you don't manage it, just just crack on. Sometimes that's the only way to manage it. And that that kind of is my only takeaway for it because it's it's really hard. And you don't want to say in kind of sort of Pollyanna about it, going, yeah, it's fine. Just pack your whole life in a nappy bag. You'll be right, you know? Right. Right. Or sometimes you, you know, you just have to run on, on the bare minimum until you get through that period of instability or, um, you know, the, a challenge that you're facing. And that, that brings up another question too, about the little ones. Like how have you found moving with them? Like, for example, we're about to be moving back to Texas next year and 
Bresson's been there though. I mean, he's probably spent at least a year of his five years in Texas anyway, between all of the visits to family and whatever. So it's a little bit different, but for your little ones, how have you managed helping them transition whenever you guys have moved? It was much easier when they were little. Hmm. Certainly, although Isabella was pretty much bilingual in Afrikaans and English by the time we brought her back. Hmm. So <laughs> a lot of the time it is you know, managing the situations that they're going into. If you're going into childcare or if you're going into schools, I've always found that keeping a really good line of communication there can help, particularly if they tend to struggle if they're in a busier environment. Yeah. Um, telling them about it and involving them in it certainly does tend to work as they get older. I mean, the first couple, you know, she would run off and we'd find her in the back of this articulated lorry. She climbed up the ramp. She, she just escaped through an open door, climbed up the ramp and she stood in the back of the lorry and it's like eight foot off the ground. If she fell off it, she'd probably die. And <laughs> yeah. You know, at that point you're like, mm, next time we'll just send her to our parents. You know? Right, yes. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> right. Um, if you can. Um, so there's ways you can manage it as they get older and it's kind of about knowing what your children like and what their personalities are like and kind of, involving them in the process I find that if you do involve them and explain everything certainly for my kids they they kind of get on with it um the last one's been quite hard uh, she often asks about Scotland and when we're going back to Lossie and why is there no beach nearby mommy and it's hard you, you don't have answers for that yeah and it's just you know you've got to acknowledge it and say yeah, I know you really miss Scotland I really miss Scotland too and you know maybe we can go and visit again here, let's go and play with the Legos. You know, that kind of thing that you do is all the time as a parent. Um, the next, you know, she already knows about the next move. She's been to visit the new house. She's, you know, she's helped me clear out her old clothes today. It's, for her, she likes to be involved. For him, it's a bit trickier. He loves his routine, Bizarre Sam. So this will be an interesting one because he's now old enough to be bothered. He's quite yeah. little. He wasn't so bothered before. He's like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's fine. Right. I'll roll with it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You mentioned them being involved. And that's one thing that I love to hear about too from people is how are you involving your kiddos in your work? So I'm curious, obviously Bryson likes to, you know, play, record the podcast and everything. How do you involve them in the business or in the podcast or when you're recording? Like, how do you explain to them what it is that you're working on and why you're working on it and that kind of thing? I just tell them the story of it, really. You know, I'll let them listen to it. Mummy, is that you? Yeah, it's me, darling. <sighs> She's recorded a couple of things before, um, talking about a jumper that she wanted knitted. <laughs> and I've put that as an outtake on, on one of the shows. And people loved it. They're like, yeah, you should totally knit in that jumper. I was like, no way. No, no way. I'm not knitting that. Won't be fun. So, you know, they do get involved with that sort of thing. Sam, to a lesser extent, he tends to go in and take my podcast and set up a part. I'll just find the microphone on the floor and he'll sneak out of his room in the morning and I'll find that he's, he's rearranged things in my office. Um, she's a lot better. In fact, she helps me pack up the yarn parcels. Ah, So she'll, you know, she'll fetch the yarn and we put it on. She'll do the sticker and we'll put it in the thing and he'll carry them and sort of throw them everywhere on the way to the sort of the shipping boxes. <laughs> So, I mean, it's easy when you've got a physical product, it's a bit easier to get them involved. Right. Um, it your back a bit, doesn't it? You know, bending down all the time if they just fetch it over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they like it. It's like playing shop. 
and exactly. else. We make it into a game. They're like, yeah, all right, mommy, I'll do that. So it's really cute. Mm. Okay. Well, as we, I'm like doodling notes over here, as we wrap up, are there any, any things that we haven't talked about that you feel words of encouragement, you know, from the trenches, from experience that you would want to share with those who are out there building naptime empires and figuring out how they can manage it and whatever that looks like for them? I think the biggest lesson for me, despite all the lessons I learned from knitting, is probably lower your expectations Hmm. um, of yourself, you know, not for life, not for your business, lower what you expect yourself to turn out and the standard that you expect to do it. Not because I think, you know, you should lower your standards across the board, but I think we are really overcritical, both from a parenting perspective and from a business perspective of what we put out and what other people think. And most of the time they don't even know. They Mm. don't see the, you know, the 95% underneath the iceberg of the work that goes on. And as long as your customers are happy, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. And likewise with your kiddos, you know, there's there's enough people out there trying to make you feel, not trying to make you feel guilty, but there's enough reason to feel guilty yeah. as it is. And that's not a productive thing. And I was very guilty, very, very guilty coming from a really high pressure job, you know, where if I made mistakes, people would actually die. Right. Coming from that environment and, you know, very competitive and always wanted to get it just a little bit better and, you know, being really self-critical in the debrief so that I could improve. Coming from that to one, parenthood, where, I mean, I was controlling fast jet aircraft and they did what I said. <laughs> Children don't do what you say. They don't you have no control over what they do. That was a major kind of aha moment of, you know what, you can do the best job. You can read every book. You can do it by every single different parenting philosophy you want. They, they don't do what you want. They'll do what they want to do anyway. And you've just got to learn to come to terms with that. And ironically, podcasting is the same. And so is running a business. You can follow any strategy you want. And there's no guarantee it'll work out the way they say it will. Mm. And it's about accepting that and going, you know, sometimes I just need to give myself a little bit of a break, reset, a cup of tea and a biscuit. And you know what? Just give myself a bit of a slack, really. And that then gives you so much more capacity when you're not feeling guilty about all the million things you could have should have done (laughs) really yeah no Um, that's that's a really great point because again just like the whole making yourself do it when you're tired or or wasted whatever whatever the case may be it's just not gonna be productive and sometimes it's easy to feel like well if I feel guilt or if I'm like really rubbing my nose in it, then that somehow makes it better. It actually makes no difference. It makes it worse as opposed to just being able to release it and leave it in that day and don't carry that with you into the next day, which is easier said than done. But Mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, we could all just keep reminding each other of that like every day forever and it would still be worthwhile to just say that and drive that point home. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's hard because we all want to be the best and we all want to do a really great job. And sometimes you can actually make yourself do a worse job because you're so busy making yourself feel guilty about the job that you're not doing. And other people are doing a really great job on the outside. So you think you're failing and 
you have no space to think when you've got that much kind of rubbish floating around in your head. I don't mean to make it sound trite because it's not an easy thing to do. And it's probably taken me six years to get to the point where I actually don't care what anyone thinks now. I'm like, no, I'm not playing this game anymore. Um, And maybe it's getting into my mid-30s or I don't know what it is, but it's not something that happens overnight. But if you catch yourself in that situation where you are giving yourself a bit of a hard time unnecessarily, then definitely take a step back because it won't be your best work. You're not doing yourself any favours. There would be that. And and my other personal favourite, the sanity saver. If you don't do this already, make a day and do it tomorrow. Find two or three of your friends who have children the same age and do team tea where one of you cooks some kind of large batch food that all of them will probably eat, maybe, and the rest of you kind of co-parent the gang Mm. Um, because it's just you manage to take the heat off yourself um, by having your friends around having kids around they all play together and you get your social kind of aspect in as well and you don't if it's not your turn you don't have any washing up so (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that was definitely a bit of a lifesaver for me so if you don't do it already I would highly recommend instigating some kind of potluck supper I guess yeah exactly I mean, again, so easy to stay isolated in your own home. I mean, we live just on the road right now, and I'm very thankful for that from our twin laws, as I call them. And I'm like, even still, we have to make an effort to see each other and like actually hang out, you know, at least once a week because it's so easy to just get caught up in the daily mix and routine of things. So taking that time to actually have human interaction with grownups while your kids are happily playing with their buddies, it's win-win for everybody for sure. Absolutely. And the isolation is difficult. It's, it's, it's something you experience whether you're a business owner or not, and whether you have children or not. If you work online or you work by yourself, it's so easy to get into that vortex where you don't see people and the only interactions you have are digital and yeah. they're great but it doesn't make up for you know being eye to eye with someone. So it's sort of like a double win really in, yeah. on both sides. Absolutely. Well, speaking of speaking of online, where can we find you online and your podcast and all of this goodness? Because now I'm like, no, I really want to go see what are some of these past surprises of yarn clubs and such because I'm really intrigued by it. I don't even know. I don't know how to knit. Once upon a time I did. I did knit like a scarf once, but crochet was kind of a bigger thing with my grandmother. She was big on crochet. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, if you're into the yarn type stuff and you like the idea of yarn surprises, my yarn club is over at thegoldenskein.com. And if you want to listen to me witter on about comedy knitting patterns and mini Paul Rudd, who didn't buy my house, <laughs> and all sorts of other random things on the podcast, then you can find me at shinybees.com. Cool. And I will look forward to, I'm just saying it so that it has to happen, more mm-hmm. info from you on podcasting with passion, you know, podcasting your way and doing it your way. Cause I just, I could listen to you talk about it all day. Cause I love this story and how it's all about following what felt fun for you. So thank you again, Joe, for sharing all this goodness. It's been fun as always. Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure. This show may be over, but the conversation is just beginning. Head on over to naptimeempires.com slash Facebook so you can join my free... Wait, did I say free? 
I'm in Priceless, a rapidly growing community of Naptime Empire Builders for deeper discussions, behind-the-scenes scoop, and of course, updates whenever I've got new stuff coming up for you. NaptimeEmpires.com slash Facebook. See you there. See you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Good job, buddy.